0: Good morning,
1: good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to find your tribe, the importance of building strong connections to help our communities thrive. My first guest is Radha Agrawal, who is a social entrepreneur, impact investor, inventor, speaker, and lifelong community builder. She co-founded Daybreaker, the grassroots Sober early morning dance phenomenon that takes place in 25 cities across the globe and has a rapidly growing loyal community of almost half a million people. Rada is also an angel investor with over a dozen exciting startups whose investors also include Beyonce, Mark Cuban, and Troy Carter. She is also the recipient of the Tribeca Disruptive Innovation Award, and has been touted as one of eight women who will change the world by MTV. She lives in Brooklyn, New York, and she's here with me this morning. Oh, one more thing. She's also the author of Belong. Find your people, create community, and live a more connected life. And she is with me right now. Good morning, Rada. Thanks for joining us. Thank
2: you so much for having me.
1: Oh, this is a great pleasure because I feel like we are kindred spirits. and We were talking before we, we started the show, and I feel like
2: I know you. Likewise. I really do. It's so wonderful. I think we have a similar voices, too, in some funny way.
1: We do. <laughs> we, that raspy, quick, uh, let's go. We, yeah, we got stuff to do. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Daybreaker. I was sharing an, a really wonderful story, my uh first brush blush dance with daybreaker occurred about 6 or 8 months ago and um with a friend it's a very heartfelt story but you have started this community where people can rise and raise hell in the early morning
2: so the idea was you know when i turned 35 years old i was a single woman living in new york city and i you know i really love dancing i really love letting my hair down i really love sort of going out and being social, but the experience of going out to nightlife has always been one that was, especially a 35-year-old woman, was just not very fun. You're dealing still with mean bouncers, you know, which you don't want to deal with anymore. You're dealing with spilt drinks all over. People sort of drunk and no one actually dancing because everyone's on their cell phones. And so the entire experience of nightlife, while I loved dancing, I loved going out, was always sort of tainted by these frustrating sort of experiences. And so the idea was all right, I still love all the the good stuff about it. So what if we extracted all the good stuff, remove the bad stuff, and try something new? So the idea was, okay, let's, let's replace the mean bouncer with a hugging committee. <laughs> um, let's replace the alcohol with green juice, coffee, and tea. So healthy treats, healthy stuff. Let's add performative elements to the DJ. So typically you go to a nightclub and you're just seeing people playing pushing buttons. But we what we really want to do is add sort of this wow experience of... You know, horn section, fire spinners, break dancers, aerialists, the whole thing. And what if we did it in the morning before you went to work? <laughs> so it was a wild experiment. You know, imagine seeing all these wild performances and, and just this wonderful community gathering before you went to work from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um, and we start with a one hour yoga experience from 6 to 7 a.m. and then 7 to 9 a.m. is the dance party or depending on what city you're in. Um, but, uh, it, you know we we launched in new york city as a social experiment and art project really and this is in 2013 december so it was like the first snowfall of the year and we didn't think anybody would show i mean we just were like okay who's going to show up but almost 200 people came to our very first one and it exploded from then it was such a, an electric morning people felt such a connection to one another to themselves they fully let go there was no it was as as women in our community is 70% women we felt totally safe on the dance floor. We could fully express ourselves. Typically, I'm editing my dance moves because I don't want some creepy dude coming up against me. you know. So, um, yeah, it was just an electric morning. And since then, we've grown it across the world. Um, 25 cities, like you said, and almost half a million community members now wake up and dance with us. And we do them once a month across all these cities. And and it's been a, a truly exciting. We, we don't do any advertising, any marketing. It's all word of mouth. And so I'll just through our daybreaker.com, you just go there, you can find your city, you put your email address in and you start getting our secret invitations.
1: <laughs> and they are fun. They are thematic. I mean, my, in my own experience, I had gone to Madame um, Tussauds Wax Museum and the theme was, I think it was um, in the jungle or into the jungle and it was wild. It was There were probably about, I want to say five or 600 people that had showed up and there were babies. People had come with their toddlers, which was really cool. And then there were the blue haireds And I really mean that, like people in their 70s and 80s that came. It was so cool.
2: So that's a big, big focus for Daybreaker as well as intergenerational community. I think so much of our lives today and why we feel more isolated and alone than ever. like One in four Americans have no friends to confide in. This number has tripled in the last 30 years, but it's because we're Siloing ourselves into these neat categories. I'm a millennial. I'm a Gen Z. I'm a Gen X. I'm a baby boomer. And we somehow segregate ourselves. And when we once used to just dance around a fireplace together, all ages, shapes and sizes. So the idea of Daybreaker also is to really democratize the age of the dance floor and have little babies there because we're also sober. You know, again, we don't advertise that we're sober, but, but, you know, everyone knows that we are. So we have no sort of um, surprise guests. But it's it's such a safe dance floor that mothers bring their little kids. You know, Jane Goodall has been a daybreaker unannounced as well with all of her friends. And it's been a wild array of age groups that come in and, and just totally get down. And
1: we do get down and that leads me
2: to the book,
1: Belong, find your people, create community and live a more connected life. And I am holding this book, which is first of all, really beautiful. I mean, I have to say, Rada, I mean, it really is a beautiful piece of work, just aesthetically. But in the book, you really break it down, no pun intended, of how to create community because we are living in a time where loneliness truly is epidemic. We're the most connected uh, generation in the world. And yet most of us feel at some point in time disconnected.
2: Absolutely. So I wrote the book to answer the question, how the heck do I find my people? I think today we are living in a time of what I call community confusion, right? We are so confused as to sort of how do I find my friends online, offline? Where are they? I just moved to a new city or I just got married and I, you know, I'm starting a whole new life or I just had a kid or I just started college. Like, there's so many moments I just retired. So many moments in our lives we're starting all over, and today it's even more confusing to figure out where do I find my friends. And and so I wrote this book because I I really couldn't find a single practical guide that held your hand and shared with you, hey, here's exactly what you need to do uh, when you when you're when you're sort of starting all over again, or if you're in a city that you've been in for 20 years and you're like, I'm just not happy with my friend group right now. I want to start all over, it can be daunting and scary. There's the comfort of, yeah, I know this person. Yeah, I don't really fully feel inspired or connected when we hang out. I always kind of leave feeling a little bit crappy, but I'm gonna do it because who else am I gonna hang out with? And it's just easier that way. So I'm saying we have one life to live. (laughs) We've got so many years on this planet. Let's really find people who give us wings and make us fly. And that's what I did. When I turned 30 years old, I realized I didn't belong. I spent my 20s in sports bars chasing cool right? I was chasing sort of um, what's relevant and culturally cool. And, and I just spent all my time in sports bars and or clubs hanging out with people who didn't inspire me, but were sort of, quote, unquote, sort of with a cool crowd, whatever. And at 30 years old, I woke up one day and I just said, wait a minute, this is not who I am. It's not authentically me. I looked myself in the mirror and like the fire was dim in my eyes, you know? And, and that was the moment that I said, okay, I'm, I, I've got one life to live. Let me just do something about it. So I started doing these sort of I just created these wonderful little exercises for myself and they're all in this book, exactly what I did. And I went from feeling alone and I'm 39 today and I have the most unbelievable community that I intentionally sort of gathered. We found each other, um, but it was super sort of intentional of how I found them. And now we have this thriving, incredible community. I've never been happier. I've never been more successful either. When you're happy in your community, you feel a sense of deep belonging that exhale of Oh my God, I'm home! You, you you're given the courage and the wings to pursue your dreams. So all the business I started since I found my people, I happened at, post that experience, and everything in life, my life shifted. And I think we focus too often on, you know, our careers, our our also romantic love, without prioritizing our our friendships. And and if we can just focus on finding the friends that give us wings to make us fly. We'll find the love of our lives, which I did at 36. And I, I now have a baby on the way. I have a six month baby in my belly (laughs) right now. And I've never felt more alive. And I think this is why I wrote the book because so many people have not sort of realized or recognized the importance of finding friends. And there's no books that give you, they're all very theoretical in nature. They're not practical. So I wanted to have a a fun guidebook and I illustrated every page as well. So it's a really fun, colorful experience. I'm not the best reader always, you know, I I need pictures even if I'm a 39 (laughs) year old adult. Um, So I wanted the book to be an experience. I throw dance parties for a living. I wanted the book not just to be a passive sort of taking in, but a truly participatory connected experience for the reader.
1: I would argue that while you say you may throw dance parties for a living, some people would say that you create spiritual opportunities
2: because that is really what a day breaker is. That's really what it is. And I I think, you know, for for the average person, I like to just say, hey, come to this dance party and experience it because they understand that, right? Because sometimes spirituality or even words like, you know, mindful consciousness can feel um, sort of, oh, gosh, this is too sort of left-leaning for me. And I think what we really want to do is to, is to democratize a dance floor. Be it, be, what, what Daybreaker is is a transformational dance floor. So you come there, many of them come there thinking it's just a dance party, but you leave sort of, you've just gone through this car wash for your soul. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's amen. Really what, what it is. <laughs> amen,
1: amen, amen. I would say that you leave also feeling positively euphoric. And there's a reason for that. There's a chemical reason for that.
2: That's right. So I call that the dose of daybreakers. This just your dose. You can release your natural dose. Um, it's, a, it's a term that I coined and I, I sort of, as I was doing my research, I, I do a lot of research on the science of dance, the science of community. There's actually a lot of research in these departments. We think that dance and community building, all these things are very squishy concepts, but they're actually, there's a lot of science to back up their deep and incredible benefits. Um, so, you know, dance is one of the most healing, meditative modalities that exists on the planet. It's the most creative modality. It reconnects so many of your creative neural pathways that are often deadened from not dancing. When you move your body, you're releasing so many energetic points in your body that have been, in many ways, sort of tied up for many years, right? And so when you move and you dance, you let yourself go and stop judging yourself, saying, "I'm not a dancer," because so many people I meet say, "I'm not a dancer." I would love to come, but I'm not a dancer. I let them know immediately. Yes, you are. We are all dancers. It just takes courage. It just takes courage to just get on the dance floor, let go of what other people are thinking about you, let go of what you think of yourself and just get into your body. And that happened to me. And when I finally realized that I should stop caring about what others thought of you on the dance floor is when everything changed. So I call the dose of daybreaker and or just your dose, releasing your natural dose. Um, and dose stands for couldn't believe that that no one put this together before, actually. But dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, your four happy brain chemicals you can release naturally without any substances, without any alcohol, without any drugs, just by training your brain to do that. So the dopamine at Daybreaker, you get from the pleasure reward of waking up early, right? You wake up and you say, okay, cool, I'm going... It's not even light out yet, but I'm putting my alarm I'm setting my alarm for four thirty in the morning or five thirty in the morning so I can wake up and go to daybreaker. So that dopamine rush of, Oh my gosh, I'm getting something done, this is so cool, you get from, from waking up early, from getting things done. You also get a dopamine rush of listening to music. So if you put your earbuds in on your way to work, you're getting a little love from dopamine. And then the O in dose is your oxytocin. So the oxytocin you get from touch, it's, it's, it's your intimacy hormone. And so often what's wild is in America, we are so physically starved for affection. Here's a wild fact for you. You know, a, a famous study was done a few, a few years ago where um, they studied how many times two people touched each other in a conversation. So Americans touch each other upwards of once in a conversation. Whereas Puerto Ricans, I share their upwards of 120, 130 times in the oh conversation. Oh, my God. Rada, so. we're, we're going
1: to need to jump off for a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Rada Agrawal, co-founder of Daybreaker and the author of Belong, Find Your People, Create Community, and Live a More Connected Life. To learn more and to hook up with Daybreaker, please visit www.daybreaker.com. And on Twitter, that is D-Y-B-R-K-R. So that's at D-Y-B-R-K-R. B R K R and on Facebook the same thing D Y B R K R and on Instagram Rada is it love dot here comes the break we'll be right back and that is a promise before we head out to the break I want to talk with you about the magic of storytelling and preserving positive memories everyone knows and loves a great storyteller you know that relative or friend who always tells the best and most colorful stories about their wildly adventurous trips their favorite hysterical college prank, or meeting the love of their life. But here's the thing. We are all natural-born storytellers. It's in our DNA because it makes us feel more connected. Documenting and sharing our journeys with people we care about brings us closer together. And that's why I'm a subscriber to StoryWorth, the easiest and most creative way to share your story and pass on precious memories to your loved ones. And here's how it works. Purchase a subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth will send an email with a meaningful question. That's a year's worth of story prompts. One of my recent favorite questions was, what is your definition of love? Your stories and photographs can be safely uploaded at StoryWorth.com or via email. All stories are secure, confidential, and only shared with people you choose. At the end of the year, your loved one's story will be bound into a beautiful hardcover printed keepsake book. StoryWorth makes a meaningful Mother's Day, Father's Day, or any day gift. This Mother's Day, I'm gifting my sister a subscription to StoryWorth so she can memorialize her life as a gift to her children, their children, and generations yet to come. I'm looking forward to learning more about the Italian love story that made her a mom. And here's a great perk for listeners of Harvesting Happiness. You will receive $20 off your subscription at StoryWorth.com slash happiness. Learn more about those you love at StoryWorth.com happiness and subscribe to give priceless gifts that will keep on giving. Once again, that's StoryWorth.com slash happiness. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back.
0: To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness. Today we're talking about finding your tribe, the importance of building strong connections to help our communities thrive. My guest today is Radha Agrawal. Let's go back to the conversation. So Radha, prior to the break, we were talking about the dose that is released at a Daybreaker event and we talked about dopamine and oxytocin. You were talking about well, dopamine we know is is the is pleasure, right? It's the feel good hormone, Oxy, right. pleasure reward, ox, exactly. yes. Oxytocin, the the bonding chemical, you know, which we, we which is released by touch. And you were talking about the difference between I think it was Americans or Caucasians and Puerto Ricans and the quantity right. of touch that occurs in an average conversation.
2: You know, one of the things that we realized is that you know Americans are also the number one porn viewer in the world as well and we replace our need for touch and intimacy with sexual energy and pornography and so you know one of the things i really talk about in community building is to learn how to touch each other again in a loving non creepy way and really <laughs> sort of <laughs> and and just kind of have the courage again to be touching your friends more hugging your friends more you know really holding their hand whatever it is to to really connect with them because you can't replace, you you actually need physical touch as a human being to survive and thrive. As a baby, think about it. If you don't get the touch from your mother or your father, you actually end up being sort of growing up in a much sort of, in in a developmentally challenged way. And so, so much of what we're learning about parenting today is around touch as well, but we are physically starved for it um, as we get older. And What's interesting is that you know VR or AI, virtual reality or artificial intelligence, will never replace the the actual need that humans have for human-human to energetic sort of connection points. So the oxytocin at Daybreaker you get from the hugging committee at the door, the contact high from the dance floor. You know our MCs also will will share sort of if you obviously consensually if you want to um, dancing with a partner or like just having one song where you're you know, um dancing with a neighbor that you don't know. So even if you come alone to Daybreaker, you know, you're very much encouraged to meet somebody and, and we, we facilitate that for you. So it's a really wonderful way to make new friends. I mean, so hundreds and hundreds, thousands of community members have made their best friends at Daybreaker. Um, and that's something I'm very, very proud of. So the oxytocin is really, really important. And we think about that for every single experience that we design and, and create for humans. And then the serotonin you get from feeling sort of a sense of worth and feeling that sort of the sense of, this is bigger than me. I think so much of our world today is focused on looking at me. Um, how many followers do I have? How many likes do I get? So we're really all sort of technologists are focusing their attention on the human becoming more narcissistic, you know, be- becoming more sort of focused on themselves. Even, you know, personal development, I find you can get trapped in it. And without realizing, actually, the point of personal development is actually to help you to go back out into the real world with a much more authentic version of, of yourself. But sometimes we get trapped inside of ourselves. And that's really also the point of my book. The first half of my book actually is about going in and getting to know who you are. Right. First, getting gooey with yourself and and really kind of shining a beautiful, loving, gentle spotlight on yourself where you get to know how am I showing up whenever I walk into a room? What do I actually want? What actually makes me happy? What values do I care about? What am I interested in? What am I good at? What can I actually bring to a community? And really kind of sharing that about you sort of learning about sort of yourself in that way. So that when you go out, the second half of my book is going out to find your people, create your dream community. And that second half of the book is really focused on the kind of the how to actually do that once you figured out who you are first, because we can be very quick to go outside of ourselves to find, to find our friends without taking the time to go inside first. So my mantra is you have to go in to go out. So then the serotonin, our MCs, you get from our MCs at Daybreaker, our master ceremonies who we have at every event across the world. They are trained to help you see that you are bigger than yourself. On the dance where they say, you know, this is a family, this is a community, we're here together, let's stop judging ourselves, let's, let's reach out and be, be free. So you realize after the event, when you walk out, that you're much more connected to this sort of greater whole of Spaceship Earth. <laughs> and then the endorphins you get from the E and Dose. You get from working out. It's the runner's high. It's the sweating. It's the your heart beating. I mean, at Daybreaker, you know, I dance often up to seven thousand steps, and so so that's you know I, it's like six or seven miles that you're dancing in two hours when you're just going in and and letting letting yourself go without any judgment on the dance floor. And it's such an inclusive, such a sort of um, everyone is so open and warm and welcome. You can be exactly who you are on the dance floor. So you're really working up a sweat out there. So you get all four brain chemicals, happy brain chemicals, when you go to Daybreaker and all the experiences that I design, and, and in the book, I talk about, you know, don't just throw a party for the sake of throwing a party, really throw a party that helps people release their dose. Yeah.
1: And, you know, releasing the dose, I think, is part of the recipe for a happy life. If we are not getting that that daily dose of that, it's pretty hard to sustain happiness. We need to fire all those chemicals up in order to feel balanced, to feel joy to feel calibrated with all emotions. Because, you know, one of the things you write about in the book Belong is this idea of reframing and embracing conflict. So when things are not going well, changing the relationship to that issue.
2: That's it. And I talk about this all the time to all of our experienced designers around the world. You know, we're a team of 50 producers and experienced designers. And I tell them all the time that, you know, again, we're not just throwing a dance party. We're throwing experience that's supposed to unlock People's sort of human heart, right? That unlocks their happiness, that unlocks their sort of human experience. And so often when I walk into an event, it's just pretty uh, sort of, you're sleepwalking in there. You know, it's sort of someone's either talking at you at a conference or you're walking to a party and everyone's, you know, you're drunk or, or whatever it is. And so, and of course, there's sort of something in the middle, but if you can actually design an event for your friends, for your community, for your business with with releasing your dose in mind you're going to have a much more connected, wonderful experience that will leave people thinking, wow, I feel like I belong. Let's
1: talk a little bit about self-awareness and showing up and being present. Because I think when we really look at what makes us happy, it's when we're able to kind of recognize, oh my God, this moment is perfect. It's okay. There's whatever happened yesterday or whatever could happen possibly later today or tomorrow doesn't really matter. And I think the book Belong and certainly Daybreaker Events help us focus on being fully immersed in our bodies in the moment.
2: Absolutely. So self-awareness, I call it gentle self-awareness in my book, because sometimes self-awareness can be pretty harsh, like we are such harsh critics of ourselves. I certainly am of myself as well. And the idea of being gently self-aware of how you're showing up is actually a wonderful, just additional kind of qualifier. So that you feel, right, you know, I am this way right now, but I, if I'm gently self-aware of how I'm showing up, if I'm, am I bringing a room up or am I bringing a room down when I walk into it? Am I typically sharing snide comments that are, I think are funny, but no one else does? <laughs> or am I bringing joy and, and sort of positive energy into a situation and sharing things with love? And so I think so often we don't realize how we're showing up, how we're being critical of others or how we're being critical of, our, of ourselves. That we just need to just get get in touch with that first, that awareness piece is the first step in your journey towards finding both yourself and your dream community, but then on the other side of it, you talk about presence, presence is actually the greatest way that you can sustain your community because you know once you get to know who you are, then you get to, you go out and meet you you make your friends, but then making friends in some ways is sort of. The initial piece of it, right, you make a friend, but then it requires a nurturing it's like it's like planting a seed. you can't just plant a seed and walk away. you have to the first several months requires way more love and attention and affection to make sure that the seed is growing into a a healthier stock right, and so it's no different from a friendship. It takes eighty hours to call somebody a friend. You can't just sort of say, yeah, you're my friend. You have to spend time with them. You have to show up for them and to participate in their lives. You have to reach out. If they don't reach back out to you, if you, feel, you felt the connection, reach back out again. Have the courage to reach out. Oh, my, one of my dearest friends, he reached out to me three or four times before I finally said, hey, come to a party that I'm throwing. I was just really busy. It was a busy time for me. But he had the courage to reach out to me several times. To a point where I, I invite him to a, a kind of a community party just to see if we're made, you know, kind of meant for each other as a friend. And he showed up, and he was just the best, most fun person, easy to talk to, brought wonderful energy to the room, and everything changed. And so, his presence, bringing presence to a space, is how you sustain community. And um, it's one of my sort of ten foolproof ways of nurturing your community, and presence is number one on the list. Like the biggest gift we can give to each other is our gift of our attention. Yes, um, and we often forget that. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, I love what you just shared because attention, it's, you know, it's attention, intention, and then action, right? It's like a three-part thing. That's it. <laughs> and and
2: by the way, don't forget being playful. I think so often in friendships or just in life in general, as adults, we tend to live in this sort of professional side of ourselves. Some of my best friends, I, they're my best friends because... When, for example, it's a story I tell in my book as well. My friend David, he, we were having breakfast together one morning, at, and he's a CEO of an amazing company, he, you know, has whatever many, many employees. And we sat down for breakfast, and he pulls out of his pocket a miniature pumpkin and just puts it on the table. And I said to him, like, like, this is that at a restaurant we're having breakfast? And he says, I said, what, what is this for? He said, what, it's just table garnish. <laughs> and I just laughed. <laughs> out loud. And I was like, you are ridiculous. And, and just like that level of playfulness, like people don't have anymore. And it's just these little additional steps that we can take in our lives. I brought gold stars to the hospital when I, when my fiance's uh, father was sick and I gave gold stars to the doctors, to the nurses. And I was just like, you're doing a great job, like great stuff. And they started competing with each other. Doctors, fully grown professionals were competing for how many gold stars they got. And it was something that cost me $2 on Amazon, but brought so much joy to an otherwise very sort of dark environment. Yeah. Scary environment. So little things that we can do to brighten up the lives of our, of our, of our community members that takes such little effort, just a little thought and intention. And I write about all of those different ways in in my book as well.
1: Yeah. Well, you have to come back. We got to hang out some more. Will you
2: come back? A hundred percent,
1: a hundred percent. Cool. Well, I want to, we are out of time today. I want to send our listeners over to www.daybreaker.com as well as belongbook.com to learn more about Daybreaker events and the book Belong, find your people, create community and live a more connected life. And just to learn more about you, the cool Radha Agrawal and other other social uh, handles, we have got at Daybreaker, and I'm going to spell it out. It's at D-Y-B-R-K-R on Instagram. On Facebook, the handle is the same, D-Y-B-R-K-R. And you can also connect with Rada on Instagram at love.rada. Rada, big, huge virtual hug to you for your
2: awesomeness. Thank you so much. It was really wonderful talking to you today, this morning. Oh, and, thank and likewise. Good thank time. you.
1: Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we are talking about community and building a tribe, the importance of strong connections, which helps us all thrive and flourish. My next guest is Dr. Ann Steiner. She teaches group leaders how to facilitate impactful groups, groups gather to address a wide range of common goals from quitting smoking to getting over divorce to running companies. Um, Workplace teams are gatherings of people support each other to solve problems, to come to mutual aid, to arrive at a common goal. But how do we do that effectively? Well, my guest today, Dr. Anne Steiner, has written a book entitled Help Your Group Thrive, a workbook and planning guide. Dr. Anne Steiner has been treating clients and leading psychotherapy groups for more than 30 years. She supervises, trains, and consults with therapists and their clients around the world. Welcome, Anne. Thanks for joining us on the
3: show. My pleasure. It's great to be on the phone with you.
1: Well, it is wonderful to talk about group dynamics because many of us are really nervous to speak in front of groups. Teaching large groups of people can be daunting for some of us and others just love it and do it naturally. What are some of the dynamics to be aware of when we gather a group of people that we want to move through a process or to a goal?
3: So I think the first thing is being really clear about what you want to have happen in the group and who the people are in your group and what they're wanting out of the group. And the best way to do that is to be really clear about what I consider group agreements. They don't have to be written, although in some situations that helps. But if everybody is coming together for the same reason, that maximizes the possible impact, it increases safety, and it makes the groups way more effective.
1: And when you say group agreement, talk a little bit about that. Is it a mission statement?
3: It's an, that's an interesting way of putting it. It is a little bit like a mission statement. It's what is it that people want out of it. And we used to call them group rules, but you can't enforce them. So and in honor of the idea of collaboration, we call them group agreements in that it's everybody – Figuring out together, if it's a group coming together on their own or a leader starting their own group, figuring out what you can expect of the members, what they can expect of each other, what's going to make reason for somebody to leave the group, what boundaries there are, like, for for example, confidentiality. Or in 12-step programs like AA, there's no crosstalk where people are talking and having a full dialogue. <laughs> groups have different kinds of rules. And being clear what they are, then you, people can figure out what you know whether they fit into that group and whether they can benefit from it.
1: I'm giggling about the no crosstalking because in yeah. any group, that is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And what about, you know, let's just go right into that angle. When you do have the cross talker or the rule bender, what about containment?
3: Well, the advantage of having group agreements is you can go back to the group agreement and say, as you may remember, when we started this group, we all agreed that people either were going to not, let's say, for example, not talk about politics in this group. This, this is an example. And. Right now, it sounds like people are having a really hard time keeping that agreement. Do people want to renegotiate that agreement? Or if not, then we need to find a way to manage this in the group so that everybody can get what they want out of the group and feel comfortable.
1: So it's really about listening and paying attention and making people aware, well, we've stepped away from that agreement where we started. Do we need to shift? Do we need to course correct?
3: So, you know, there are times when you just need to reevaluate and renegotiate what you all are there to do in, in work groups that I help with and in community organizations where I do consultation. The whole thing is, what is it that you want out of this? And sometimes people, have a, you know, like in a work team, for example, they've accomplished the main reason they met, and then they find that it's really helpful to kind of be brainstorming together, but that requires a different agreement. They may want that people not share some of the ideas outside of the group and with other groups.
1: I think that for many people, you know, when they're told, all right, we want you to lead a group about X, Y, or Z, many people freeze. Mm. They get really nervous and frightened. And I'd love for you to share maybe some tips or strategies for a successful plan of attack.
3: You're addressing the, the most common way that people fall into leadership is that either at work or their friends or somebody says you're a natural leader or won't well, you do this or they get promoted and told now you're a manager so you have to lead a team and they have no training and nobody to be a backup person or for mentoring or consultation. That's really why I wrote this book is to give people what the core ingredients are of making groups safe and comfortable and effective. So one of the things that was really exciting for in writing the book was – creating a whole collection of group agreements for different kinds of groups. So I have 12 sample group agreements to give people an idea, because I really think that's the core of what people want to think about when they're putting together a group and what kind of leader do they want to be. Are they going to go in and be a teacher where they go in and it's just like a class Or do they want to be a facilitator where they're going to bring out the best in people and open the floor really for full dialogue and then their role is primarily to direct people or be sort of a guardian of the group's comfort and intervene when things get uncomfortable or clarify things if there's a miscommunication, deal with conflict directly, things like that.
1: I like that you have defined the difference between the group leader or teacher and the facilitator. Very important. Mm -hmm. And no matter what kind of group we're talking about. Exactly.
3: They're so different. And being clear about what your role is really helps. So one advantage of the 12-step programs is it's all very clearly defined. You know, you're either the secretary, you're the leader. There are different roles and different ways of providing service. And when you step out of that highly structured kind of a community and put together a group without that, Lots of things can go a little bit off the rails. Yeah. So with book clubs, for example, people will say, well, you know, we'll just rotate leadership but haven't thought about what the job of the leader is and whether they're going to just let, for example, anybody who wants to be in the group can come in. Because that's the other key thing is figuring out who's going to be in the group and what they're going to get out of it. Yeah. And how are you going to manage conflict is the other big key thing. And is it going to be something that you embrace? Or trans squelch
1: let's talk about that because no matter okay. what kind of group whether it is the book club or a political group that you might be involved in or raising money political for action yeah I mean or social action no regardless of the group there will be conflict that will arise because that's the nature of when you put a bunch of human beings in the room they might disagree and that's okay It's good actually
3: And a lot of people are what we call conflict avoidant, and they're really afraid of any kind of conflict. And for leaders, I encourage them to think about what their relationship with conflict is and whether they're afraid of it. And if you're afraid of it as a leader, then try and talk to some people, do a little reading about it, think about it. But consider that there is, as you say, healthy conflict And healthy conflict in a group can actually be good for its members. Healthy conflict helps members learn from each other's different perspectives, and that can break down barriers and misunderstandings and misconceptions and help people grow closer. So I I like to think of it as respect-based conflict resolution can lead to creativity and greater understanding. It leads to innovation and in in the work setting and in other ways, too, increase productivity. But it has to be planned and handled with a skillful leader in the right environment for it to work the best. And one thing that I stumbled upon that I've really loved and have added to all of my work is George Singleton's Four Agreements of Courageous Conversations. So he's an educator in Oakland who wanted to talk about diversity and race and how we can have difficult conversations. And he has these four core agreements And one of them is stay engaged, speak your truth in love. The other is be willing to experience discomfort. Now, most of us don't think we're signing up for discomfort in a group, right? And the piece that I love is expect and accept non-closure. Because Mm. we often go in thinking we're going to be able to resolve any conflict if we just work hard enough at it. And that's often unrealistic. So if we acknowledge that, we don't set ourselves up, and we just focus then on the value of increasing understanding and connection,
1: which is a successful group. Mm-hmm. You know, where exactly. you walk away when you go, oh, um, you know, I understand that a little bit better now. And you know, when you talk about resolution, I think it's hard to expect a full resolution in a sixty or ninety minute form.
3: It's unrealistic. So then you're guaranteeing that people will be disappointed. If you say, don't be surprised if you find yourself upset, and this is what you should do after the group if you find yourself upset in a group that talks about loaded topics, then that makes it easier. But if you give the impression that they're going to solve their problems in that one session or even in short-term groups, that I think is, I, I have some strong feelings about that. I think it can be damaging. Because then people walk away and they say, well, I, you know, I didn't cure my cancer in that six session group. So it must be my fault. I didn't meditate it away well enough.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> my. Like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> yeah. We're going to take a break in a minute. And when we come back from the break, I would love for you to share some of your good icebreakers and starting techniques to help people ease into their role if they are in that place where they are facilitating or leading a group. Because it, it's not natural. Many of us will go um, um uh um, when we when we walk in to uh to host a group and it might be something that's not particularly charged or difficult. It could be our one of our children's um activities that we take on the role of team parent and there's a group dynamic involved. I mean there it, it doesn't have to be Um, you know, a a cancer support group, or a grief support group, or a business group. It can be just skills that we take into our daily lives in the group dynamic. To learn more about the work of Dr. Ann Steiner, I invite you to visit her website, www.drsteiner.com. On Facebook, she's at Dr. Ann Steiner. And the book we're talking about today is Help Your Group Thrive, a workbook and planning guide. We're talking about the um, essentials for great group dynamics. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise.
0: Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more.
1: My guest today is Dr. Ann Steiner, and we're talking about finding your tribe, the importance of building strong connections to help our communities thrive. Let's get back to the conversation. And let's jump into icebreakers, ways that we as leaders of groups can help um, the group get going to put ourselves and others at ease.
3: What I like to do in thinking about that is first think about the different types of groups and the group that you're leading. So if you think about the group that you're talking about and you want an icebreaker, it's a new group and you're a little bit nervous about it and you weren't able to do a screening like therapists do and prepare people for starting the group and they haven't figured out what their individual goals in the group are, then it's really, do you want the members to feel like it's their group or is it your class? who owns the group, for me, is the first question. Mm. And once you're clear about that, if you, because usually, most people, they want people to feel like it's their group, that they have ownership, and they're really happy to be there, and they want to participate and get something out of the group. So when that's the case, then the easiest thing to do is to start off with asking everybody who wants to, to share what they want to get out of the group. You know, what are their hopes and wishes? And I usually, with a new group in that kind of a situation, will write down what people's different wishes are, and then they get to see the commonalities, and then you can flow it in that direction.
1: Nice. And what about you as the group leader chiming in with your own personal hopes for the group?
3: Well, what you can do, again, it all depends on the kind of group. So if you're leading a cancer support group, say, and you haven't had cancer, then you're not going to talk about your cancer experience. But even if you have had cancer or if you are a survivor of whatever challenge the people have gathered to support each other around, some groups, it's best to simply mention that you've had personal experience with X and other groups, you're there just as an equal member and you you set what they call in the therapy world, you self-disclose and you're quite personal about what your stories are. But you may want to think about What your priority is, if your priority is to help them bring out their stories and speak their truth, then you may want to lay back and not have it be a group that is there for your benefit, but you're there to serve them as their leader, because that is a different hat.
1: Yes, but oftentimes I've found... That when we talk a little bit about ourselves in the context of the group sharing, that it puts okay. the group members at ease because mm-hmm. there is, we're, we're meeting at the heart, right? When we share a little yeah. bit about ourselves.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's that distinction, a little bit about ourselves. It's, it's, it's letting it be set up that you're modeling being able to talk about it and be open about it. But your job, your job is not to be taking the entire time talking about yourself, yes, which is where I sometimes you know when I do these consultations, sometimes I hear that the group has complained that, and, and often what happens is the group simply fall apart when people are unhappy, so if there isn 't an agreement to talk about when things aren 't working, and this is why I keep going back to the group agreements, then people will just they will the group will fumble, falter, and fail because. They don't. They didn't agree to say, you know what, I'm finding that I'm feeling left out or I'm feeling like we're not talking about what I really need to talk about today. And more and more people will start, if there isn't an agreement to talk about conflict or not getting their needs met, they will then fade out. And that's what happens so often with these groups just not continuing.
1: So talk a little bit about the feedback loop because I think one of the Really important components to a successful group is the safety level of its members being able to say, you know what, this really worked today. This was on fire today and here's the reason why. Or, you know, today was a little bit weak. It was, you know, not so good.
3: Depending on the type of group, if you have a group where people really want to get into some deep stuff and be able to take some risks and and share some difficult material, then you'd I encourage people to let me know as the leader as soon as they're aware of it. They're feeling uncomfortable or that they feel that, that something unpleasant happened that they are, that, you know, that could lead to them not wanting to come back. I want to know that as soon as possible because usually the person that is feeling that is not alone. And then I can, what they call in, the, in the, the world of group work, you can bridge and say, is Susie the only one who's feeling that way? I really doubt it. And then you'll find out that other people are feeling, well, actually, you know, talking about X at this point is uncomfortable, or I was really wanting to go deeper when Charlie started to talk about Y. And then, then you can bring people back in.
1: It's funny you mentioned that. Around Valentine's Day, I led a group about love. And the group was not about romantic love. The group was about the the notion of love, what love is. And I remember there must have been 10 people in the group, and two or three of the the people who were in the group got so activated by the subject matter. But I gave them a huge amount of credit because they recognized that it wasn't the subject matter. It was what love brought up in them, and they could not tolerate being in the room.
3: And they were able to say that. yes. And then the beauty of that is you, what happened is because you brought a, a container and a openness to that where people felt safe enough to say that, yeah. so you did something that made it possible for them to speak that and then go to saying, you know, actually, this is my stuff. This is not because of, you know, that you, you're doing anything wrong. And they were, own, they were able to own their own issues and then hopefully, you know, work on that some.
1: It was fascinating, and you know, the group was joking together. Like people are dropping like flies here, you know, and it wasn't—it it wasn't a mean-spirited thing. But this this scales across all kinds of meetings because you will have, and if you lead groups, you will have in, in your lifetime where people just get huffy and leave and don't really explain why.
3: And that's damaging to the person who leaves and to the people they leave behind. And again, that's why I wrote this book, because I get very passionate about it. There's a lot of unintended injury that happens that we don't even know about. And often can, what can happen is that people then won't return to a group for quite a long time or any kind of support, yeah. and they remain mm-hmm. more isolated than they need to. And there's so many preventive things we can do to make it so that a person can say, you know, this is not what I expected, so I'm going to say goodbye next session and clean up any unfinished business, and then everybody knows what happened and that this wasn't right, a good match or not the right time to be doing that kind of group. And there's no big mystery or worry about the person. And it makes it easier because often people leave relationships in general in anger. That's our American tradition. It's way easier to end a relationship <laughs> in anger. And I work my tail off to not let that happen Yeah, in group. Yeah. Because that's, that's toxic for everybody. Well, I think that
1: even, you know, it goes back to when there's conflict, that the conflict doesn't have to be negative, that in fact, if we can learn to handle conflict in a constructive way, that once Mm -hmm. we parse out the elements, we see how much of that conflict we own because it activates something inside of ourselves versus the other person or the group dynamic really being negative or intentionally activating. Exactly. I want to talk about virtual groups and online groups because... This is the wave of the, our future. You know, many of us live in rural environments. We can't get to live groups. Many of us work in a virtual environment where we're scattered around the world and come together virtually to have meetings. Talk a little bit about successfully facilitating in a virtual environment.
3: So in in virtual env- environment, again, the group agreement helps because people... Know what the expectations are, what their participation expectations are, and what happens often is that i 'm not sure if your audience is familiar with the phrase "lurk and learn it It can sound sort of sinister, but in the virtual world or uh, the world of online groups, most people will what they will do what they call lurk they 'll just first sign on to the group. And just sort of listen in and see what kind of group it is. And often people will, will do that for quite a while without participating. And it makes it possible for them to feel more comfortable. And then as they feel more comfortable, they join in or chime in or begin to participate. And making that possible makes it easier for people to connect with each other. So it, it sounds a little sinister at first, but in fact, it makes it easier for people to connect. They know what kind of group it is. It's a sort of replacement for going to a group and being able to have that visual. Now, more and more we're seeing people do actual, you know, Skype groups and Zoom groups where people can see each other, which is very complicated. And, uh, we haven't really worked out, I think, the logistics on how to do that with groups of people that don't know each other in terms of the challenges that come up. But these groups are very, very powerful. And as you said, for people that are living in rural communities, they're very effective. For people who have social anxiety, have difficulty being physically present, or physical or medical challenges that make it difficult for them to travel, these groups, well, groups in general are the antidote for isolation. Yeah. And then you add that to people that have difficulty leaving their home independently for whatever reason, and it makes it possible for them to begin to rebuild their lives and begin to connect with people outside of their normal daily life. They're
1: they're, very powerful. They are powerful. When we talk about running business groups online, you know, we have that meeting where there are people coming from all over the country or all over the world into a group meeting room there is finesse required in facilitating in that environment. I mean, I see it myself because I participate in, mm-hmm. in those calls or those video chats quite frequently and there's yeah. there's an etiquette, you know, there, there the agreements that need to be set up even in that environment.
2: Yeah, so I,
3: I'm trying to remember, I don't remember exactly how many sample group agreements for those that I have, but I think it's at least 10 because the range of different types of things that you might want to have people consider and agree to before being in an online group is very different than in person. So one example is, is a wonderful website for young women that have chronic medical conditions, and it's called chronicbabe.com, and it's, it's all very hip language and really direct so that everybody knows what they're getting into when they sign up to be on that. That online group. And there are countless online groups going on all the time. Having these understandings of what people can expect out of them and how the group is going to handle conflict that's that's difficult. The other thing I sometimes worry about with online groups uh, is the issue of if people are in danger or suicidal. So I encourage people that lead these kinds of groups to have the information for a local crisis line and all of that information available that they can put on on the the online chat group or whatever it is. Now, that's obviously not the case in a work group, but sometimes people get very activated and I get concerned that people really need more support often than they can get in these groups where they don't have to reveal or really go into what's going on and they can get activated and get them, you know, have problems that need professional help.
1: So we're also talking about a code of responsible leadership, even in a virtual mm-hmm. environment. That's
3: what I that's what I'm hearing exactly. you say. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. That's exactly it. This book is
1: really, it is a great resource and tool for running successful groups of all kinds. We've been talking with Dr. Ann Steiner about Help Your Group Thrive, a workbook and planning guide. What I think is really important to circle back and reemphasize is that as human beings, we strive to belong. We we must connect. It's how we operate best, right? It's how this little operating system of ours hums along is when we're engaged in a healthy way. And I think what your book offers is an opportunity for us as facilitators to learn how to do this, A, responsibly, but B, creatively.
3: I listened to your recent podcast the other day where you talked about everybody wants connection. Yeah. and. The basic need, you know the way you put it was something like the basic need for love, connection, and belonging. we all want to be part of a tribe and part of something. That's what this is all about, yeah,
1: but in order to make us feel hospitable to being there, being mm-hmm. in that space, whether it's real or virtual is mm-hmm. is an art, you know, and it's like it's like the hostess of a party right the the person who puts together the party, it's not just throwing together you know, some food and beverage, it's a really about creating a stage and an environment that allows people to feel that they have arrived in a comfortable and safe space to engage.
3: I love the way you put that. Yes.
1: You're a delight. <laughs> I want to give you your contact information to learn more about the work of Dr. Ann Steiner. Please visit her website, www.drsteiner.com. On Facebook, she is at Dr. Ann Steiner. If you want to learn more about how to facilitate or lead a compelling group please reach out and buy the book help your group thrive a workbook and planning guide thanks for joining us on harvesting happiness this is lisa cypress kamen and my guests today rada agrawal and dr ann steiner wishing you kind thoughts kinder words and the kindest of actions until next time remember happiness is an inside job happiness is your inside job go out and rock your day
0: Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, kbuuradiomalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange.